You have the clap. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Don't worry, that was far away enough from the microphone. No, it never is. Nope. We heard everything just like the men in black. <sighs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Gems of History podcast. Second part. First two-parter. You guys ready for it? We out here. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and joining me, as always, I have Mark Steinbrenner. Happy to be here. And Evan Roosh. Again, just living the absolute best possible life I can. Wow. <laughs> back to back weeks. Try to, of try to spoil that one, Steinbrenner. I, well, I didn't try to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love it. I love it. Good so, since last week, we are all now officially honorary men in black. So, yes, very much so. It's it's been fun learning the ways. Don't remember how to talk well though. Yeah, we're all seven foot tall. So yeah, Jacob's talks like a robot now. Very skinny. Yeah. Kinda sucks, honestly. Yeah. Finally shed that last ten pounds, so pretty <laughs> <hyped>. <laughs> Took off that pandemic fifteen. <laughs> right. Oh, buddy. Fifty. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you guys are all doing well out there. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, if you did not listen to part one of this series and you're just jumping in now, I would suggest going back because otherwise a lot of this stuff probably won't make sense to you. But if you want to just live life on the edge like that, hey, you, you live your truth. Be a wild move, but do you? Yeah. I thought he was going to say be a wild moose. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a, I don't a wild know. moose. <laughs> yes. Yep. Exactly. If yep. you if you listen to this before part one, you are officially a wild moose. <laughs> well, that's the next t-shirt idea. <laughs> You're now the wild moose club. <laughs> yep. The gems of moose. Well, before we do anything today, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you haven't rated and reviewed us, just take a second and think about what you're doing with your life. Do you really want to be a part of the wild moose gang? Is that what you want to do? Because if you really want to be a part and dedicate yourself to this cause, go give us five stars. If you if you can leave a review and just put like a little icon, I hope they leave like a little moose in there. <laughs> yes, that's all we need. Yeah. Then also follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, and you know DM, DM us a gif of a moose. Yeah, we love <laughs> moose. Yep, big fan of <laughs> moose, moose, it's moose eye. Pronounce meese. Meese. Mooses? Mouse. Mouse. <laughs> Different animal entirely. Oh boy. If we Woo. get if we get ten reviews in a row of just moose emojis, we will do something get special. I don't know what it is, but no, definitely not. we will do another podcast episode. Hey, wow. You can wow. count on that. Yep. It'll be all about moose. Oh jeez. We're gonna do the history of moose. <laughs> <laughs> the moose history week. <laughs> I love it. An episode every day during the week of moose facts. <laughs> Sharks, you had your turn. Now it's time for the, <laughs> the time of the of the shark is over. The we're age we're of the starting moose. it. Yep. The age of the moose. All right, guys. Well, with that out of the way, got our plugs out of the way at the beginning today. I like it, and so, also big fan of moose now. Yep, it's official. We finally got it into the airwaves. Like we've been holding on. Yes. <laughs> we are the bravest podcast out there. We're They're... finally addressing the lack of representation <laughs> of moose. In... I mean, we have this giant portrait of a moose just hanging in the studio. I mean, right? I mean, we can't just not honor their cause. <laughs> it's a shame we can't show them. I, I know. Think the thing is, you're going to make me 
not make me, but like just this, like I'm gonna get a thing. Of moose, I mean. They just take like one of the pictures of us recording, and we just Photoshop a moose in the background. <laughs> there uh, has to be like free moose sounds that you can just pipe in. I just assume I'm as sure a producer, could... you can just what does a moose? What kind of a sound does a moose even make? We've been talking moose <laughs> four minutes, <laughs> four and a half minutes of moose talk. You can count on a whole week of this. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That would actually be incredible. <laughs> and now for all moose theme trivia questions. <laughs> uh, I'm I can, just I can find that. <laughs> quick, quick Google out. Yeah. You Google that and Google's like the hell. I'll put in like the the music from your stubbornness throughout the ages and just like oh, yeah. us trying to find moose yeah. trivia. <laughs> Alright, who wants to start for trivia for this week? Um I can start. Alright. So when Mexican general Santa Ana had his leg amputated after engaging the French at Veracruz, which callback, you'll remember that's one of our wacky spores of history with, um, I forget his name, but he was the pastry guy. The pastry guy. dude. Mm-hmm. What did he end up doing with his leg, his newly amputated leg? Was it A, sent it to the French general, B, ordered a full military burial, C, had it bronzed, or D, put it in a museum. These all sound like really fun things to do with it. I I think it's B. I think he had a burial set. Full ceremony. ceremony for it. Just sounds like something a, really annoying. A that 21 gun yeah, 21 gun this dude's leg. I don't know. It sounds more fun if he had it bronzed, because... I could just see him like getting into a fight and just swinging it around. <laughs> that'd be really funny. Right. Yeah, that'd be pretty funny too. I'm gonna go with that one. Okay. Had a bronze. Okay, so the correct answer is ordered a full military burial. Nice. Good work. In 1838, General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana had part of his leg amputated after it was destroyed by cannon fire. He subsequently ordered a full military burial for the lost limb. So is that like George Lopez's great grandfather or something like that, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine just like the amount of history in one family? They're crazy. Also and that show you He's to always just... in your home at two AM when you're right? sick. <laughs> he's always like your kind of like wake up call at two AM. Yeah. Low ride. <laughs> All right, Mark, do you want to hit us you with wake your... up in like sure. a cold sweat? Like <laughs> yeah, right? That's my sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just George Lopez. <laughs> it's just standing in the corner. It's like him jumping on the trampoline in and out of focus. <laughs> but it's outside your window. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the first floor, so he's just like peeking up and down. No, he's like going that up and down in a lowrider with the hydraulics. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Uh, okay, sticking with uh, last a lot of week's... chaotic energy this week, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Let's consume it. Use it for our own purposes. <laughs> sticking with uh, what I went with last week regarding presidents, who was the first U.S. president to appear on television? Was it Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, uh, Lincoln, or Roosevelt? Um, some of these are obvious, but. <laughs> Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln. Whoa, 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 whoa. The first televised play what... of all time. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. It's like that whitest kid you know what... skit. <laughs> True, I didn't say in what format they were on. True, television. he could have just had his face on there. Uh, um, It's not. That just reminds me of The Office. Like, 
perhaps a nice day at the theater. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Parks and Rec. Is, or no, that's uh, The Office. Yeah, when Gabe it's just so finds funny. a top hat. Yeah. All right. So what were all the options? It was Lincoln, Reagan. Nixon. Nixon and, and Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Okay. Didn't you say JFK was one? He can be. Oh. Um, I believe it was Reagan. Because I believe a big part of the reason why he actually won was because he was just far more attractive than his opponent. From his acting? I'm saying Roosevelt. Okay, the correct answer was Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Because he had the fireside chats, didn't he? He, Well, it says here. No, that was different. No, it says here. Appearing at the 1939 World's Fair in New York City, he became the first president to be televised. Because Reagan was in like the 80s, so that's why I knew it him mm. but yeah take that shot big boy i just need to say how hot ronald reagan was. <laughs> big look ronald at, reagan Ron, is so, so hot, hot right now, now. Ronald, ronald reagan, reagan. <laughs> you have to say both names you can't just say ronald absolutely <laughs> ronald could be anything it could be ronald mcdonald ronald reagan ronald messenger that's a thing anyone <laughs> stop looking at me i don't <laughs> i don't know any other ronald's <laughs> Yeah, Ralph. Oh, God. All right. So, my question's pretty straightforward. When was the CIA formed? A, the 1920s, B, the 1930s, C, the 1940s, or D, the 1950s? It's either 40s or 50s. Because I know, I want to say it was after, like, for sure after World War II. Mm-hmm. Well, let's each take one, and then one of us might be right. 50s. I'll go 40s, then. It was formed in 1947. Son, I... I, I let like, you pick. I let you Harry pick. Harry S. Truman. I think I'm like 0 for 6 in our last trivia. Yeah. It's not great. Well, you just, Yeah, we're not doing great. <laughs> uh, I, I thought you got the last one right, but then I remembered that I... Yeah. Bad times. Bad times at El Royale. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's my trivia for you. <laughs> it's just Good a times. matter of fact. <laughs> yep. That's yep, what it was There for. it is. Oh, we will see you next week. Yep. <laughs> on so Dragon Ball Z. Come back next week for more Moose Facts. I would tune in for that. It's like one of those yellow manila folders. You just pop it closed and we're out of here. <laughs> yep. And closing in three, two, one. <laughs> Goodbye. So, uh, Jacob, bring us up to speed on how uh, this week will be different from last. So, last week, if you'll remember, or if you're being a absolute mad lad and listening to this first for whatever reason, uh, last week we talked about stories and the phenomenon of the men in black and what they're all about. So, this week we will be going into more of the what they could be or theories on who or where they came from. So, that's going to be... What is the main focus, not necessarily telling the story. And Nick Redfern actually separates his book very nicely and does one and two for the parts. So I'm kind of just following his lead. And he has, I want to say, like seven or eight chapters on different things that it could be. And I'm mainly going to talk about like four or five of them. So there's some that I won't really dig into, but if you want to get his book and read it, like I said last week, it's a fun read. So go find his book wherever you get your books from. But let's get into it, shall we? We shall. So 
the first section is hallucinations. And this goes into what you had kind of brought up last week where I said we'll talk about it this week on Albert Bender and maybe some mental... Or... Yeah, I was uh, suspicious about his mental health. Yeah. So we're going to go through Albert Bender, Gray Barker, and John Keel, who were three of the biggest proponents from last week on telling this story and kind of mainstreaming it in the paranormal realm. So our trio of researchers, Albert Bender, Gray Barker, and John Keel, Albert Bender being the one who had the supposed first experience, Gray Barker, the author that wrote about his experience, and then John Keel, who wrote about the Mothman, if you guys are forgetting who each one of those are, uh, are mainly responsible for how the men in black are perceived today. So to begin, we're going to explore them in a little more detail on their personal lives and kind of if what they said has the weight to back what they say if they're conf- that there's confidence in their words so in bender's case a lot of contemporary and even some ufologists back in the day didn't take that crazy story about his antarctic military base underground very seriously uh because it's far-fetched what do you what else can you really say three al- three alien guys teleported you to the antarctic circle to go underground did he say that he was like this all happened in one night yeah as well all right yeah <laughs> and he's got more crazy stories that i'll talk about in here but so a lot of people just didn't really take it seriously i mean he was just like a fantasy kind of guy and he loved he loved the attention because as we mentioned he was a pretty solitary guy i mean he didn't really have a ton of friends. I mean, it's not like he wasn't a sociable person. He had a normal job, and he was friendly from all accounts, so he's just kind of the weird guy. But he he wanted the attention, so maybe him telling this story was his last-ditch effort to try and get his name written in history before he kind of faded out. So that's what some people kind of theorize why he would have fabricated a tale like this what was his day job like does it say he worked at i want to say it was like a scissor manufacturing company something like that that's so specific that's insane (laughs) but he was apparently a good employee worked there for a while so wow he yeah nick mentions it in the book and i forget but i believe that's what it was so along with this huge imagination that he has he was also just kind of naturally paranoid i mean like i mentioned he was super scared about getting cancer at like his young relatively young age and that lasted throughout his life so i mean that just shows that he might just be constantly on edge so any little thing that he thinks is bad is gonna just blow out of proportion in his own head so some believe that he may have actually been visited by that robertson panel who was in charge of investigating UFO groups, and maybe he just changed the narrative to make it more fantastical and say, say like, oh, it was actually an alien visitor or something. So that's what a lot of people think is maybe he did actually get visited, but who knows if... I'm just picturing, like, in real life, it was just Newman from Seinfeld. <laughs> it's like when he busts his head and he tries to slam the door, but his head gets stuck in the door. <laughs> Hello, Newman. <laughs> That's the rock. Oh, too good. So 
Maybe he did get visited, but probably not by aliens that took him to the Antarctic Circle. Um, but you remember how he mentioned many times that he had headaches or dizzy spells and he was smelling strange things all the time? Mm-hmm. So that actually does possibly have a physical explanation, which is epilepsy, and specifically Jacksonian epilepsy. So apparently, according to Nick Redfern's book, this disorder is marked by experiencing mild to moderate hallucinations, lightheadedness, but not outright unconsciousness, fear, and strong imaginary odors. So pretty much hits every point. Yeah. Ticks every box. And... About 15% of epileptics also report having migraines. So it kind of knocks everything off the list. And some side effects of epilepsy may include the perception of floating lights in your immediate vision. So, wow. Literally hitting just checking them off one at a time. Yep. And there's another thing they mentioned called, I don't remember what it stood for, but it was PKSD, I think, which was like, some sort of involuntary psychokinesis, like moving things around with the power of your mind, basically. And there was some research study done by a guy with like 90 people or something, and he said like 20 out of the whatever amount of people were able to do it, and like a good amount of them had epilepsy. So it was like just something that happened. I don't know if that's true. I didn't look into it at all, but. Apparently, that could explain some of the things that happened, if it is true. But now it's time for the book to personally attack me. And the next statement was, quote, For a man in his 20s and verging upon his 30s by the time he seriously immersed himself in the UFO arena, not to have had a girlfriend or a wife might strike many as being odd. (laughs) Certainly, it would not have been a healthy situation for Bender, physically or mentally, sitting all alone in a dark attic on weeknights and a dark cinema on the weekends. (laughs) 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 Just targeting us. That's just uncalled for. (laughs) I didn't need that. Well, he didn't have a podcast. (laughs) It's like the Facebook thing where it's like, what's wrong with this? I'm in this photo and I don't like it. So it just saying, like, he probably wasn't in the best mental headspace because he was mm. pretty lonely, and I'm sure he wanted some attention from a woman. So, I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> but and it, so it just makes up this entire... Like, I get... Well, here, uh, here's where he tells another side of his story. So he basically said that he was in his room and three hot space babes came into his room, stripped him naked, and rubbed a special liquid on his body and told him that it would protect him from a certain earth disease, pretty much alluding to cancer. And then basically just showing like, okay, this guy is just like living out his fantasies in every way possible. This man literally said like three hot space babes? Pretty much. Like he said like some sort of like some sort of hot woman. You could say that they were out of this world. We have jokes. <laughs> and moose. Ev, see the podcast, moose. dude. Go do some stand-up, man. Right. right. So what's the deal with all these <laughs> moose? <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Oh, man. We're really hammering Seinfeld today. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, the final thoughts of, like, Gray Barker and a man named Greb Greg Bishop, who was another 
prominent name in the ufology scene say that Bender was most likely having like some sort of minor experience, like the Robertson panel maybe visited him and then had like vivid waking dreams or trance like states that manifested as like those hallucinations and led him to make up the the horror stories about the men in black and then the three hot space babes. But in (laughs) 1954, Bender met his future wife, and from then on, like all of his Men in Black stuff, pretty much stopped, and all that. Like, huh. there's hope. Then there's hope for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it it's pretty clear cut that he m- may have been making all of this up just for getting some attention on him, and just to find or, the one, or he just had like that physical ailment that caused him to see things and have all of these physical traumas happened to him that he didn't know how to deal with and this was his outlet for it so who knows Hmm. but that's kind of the section on albert bender and so take that as you will maybe something did happen to him but i just don't think it was anything as extreme as what he leads on about so i still can't get over it and then three hot space space babes (laughs) And like then they the, immediately just strip him naked, too. Right. It's just like, all right. It's like, hmm. It's a little sus. Did he put this in his magazine? Pro- he probably him? would have. I think it was after he shut everything down, but because like, ah, he wrote his book a few years after it. Mm. So I'm sure he would have. <laughs> after been like, Hugh Guys, Hef- you'll never understand what happened to me, and you'll never believe it. After Hugh Hefner turned him down. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next, we're going to go into Gray Barker. So... Gray Barker was the one who originally published Albert Bender's story in his book, The They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. So he like really helped get this story out there, just being a larger name in being an author for this topic for a while. So there's a lot of things that people say about Gray Barker. I mentioned it last episode that he was kind of a prankster and he liked to just tell a good story. So some people just discount a lot of what he says because of that, because he likes to pull pranks. He likes to stretch the truth a little bit here and there. But it seems like there's more to it than just that. So people close to him knew he was a hoaxer, and it wasn't that he outright lied to them, but he was the kind of guy that would spin the truth a little bit just to make it more fun. Like, you would want to make a better story. It's more exciting. It's not like he's outright lying to them. It's just spinning a tale. So, everything you write would be based on the truth, and he would just take it to a more fun or exciting place instead of just being dry facts. It's it's just more fun to read if you make it a little more exotic. Just toss a little sizzle on that bad boy. Yeah, just throw some hot sauce in there. Mm, Literally. Just dumping hot sauce on his books. That doesn't seem like a good idea. It doesn't. <laughs> Don't ask me. He was a successful guy. You could say the pages were spicy. You could. You could say that. <laughs> one, one could. Yikes. But... Wow, we just lost 10 subscribers. <laughs> we'll Go get him back with the moose Five stuff. stars on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so one person... Yeah, for every five-star review you leave, like I'll stop. I'll take like one of those jokes off like my, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my to-do list. We'll take the itinerary of jokes and just cut it in half. Right. <laughs> so one person put it in 
this way. They said, Gray Barker was telling the stories, not trying to come up with a complicated explanation for them. So he was the one just trying to get it out there. He wasn't trying to explain what it actually meant or any of that. He wasn't the one with all this pseudoscience to try and prove his theory. He he said he couldn't solve it on his own, so he just wanted to have fun with it, which who wouldn't? I mean, that's pretty much what we do. We're not trying to come up with all the answers. Or are we? How can you come up with them when you already have them all? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are honorary men in black now. So. Mm-hmm. so along the way during his career, Barker did like to take fun jabs at the same field that he was a part of. Like one time there was a story that he and his friend were in a car and his friend drove and then he dangled like a model UFO out the back window. And then there was another guy on top of the car <laughs> that was filming it. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, with like 1960s and 70s cameras, like it looked pretty legit for what we were using. And I mean, I don't doubt it. It's probably like grainy as hell. So yeah. who knows the difference? But it just, he, he wanted to be the fun guy in this field and he still wanted to like explore the area and try and get people informed but it's not like he was super like dead nut serious on it so why not have fun Hmm. so uh one ufologist whose name is timothy green beckley he summarized gray barker as thus and i quote gray could tell a great story by using his imagination but still based on the facts the truth is in his stories, but it's the way he presented it as stories that a lot of people don't always get. And that's mm. kind of why Gray Barker has been portrayed in a negative life by some people, because they don't understand that he's just telling stories. He's not, he's not like basing it on just things that he's thinking of. He's taking things that he knows or things that other people have told him and just spinning the yarn. Right, like he's not a historian. Right, exactly. You know? Just like us. Well, we are historians, but... I mean, we do have a podcast dedicated to history, so yeah. I believe that's all that it takes. Pretty much. Um, I hope I don't yell that I by mean, any historians that listen to this. But... We did say already that we covered all of history in, like, what was that, episode 11? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we already did it. Yeah, this is just bonus. I mean... This is DLC content. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the EA Sports, like, you have to buy all the downloadable right. <laughs> stuff. So. Perhaps Barker didn't have any personal encounters with the men in black like he claimed to, but he used them to add fun to his stories and make them more exciting, and maybe maybe he did have his own encounters because people pretty much say, like, the only person that knew what Gray Barker believed was Gray Barker. He didn't really tell you. So it's up to you to interpret that as you will and say, like, this guy's full of shit or this guy is telling a story that I can get behind. Mm-hmm. So... And lastly, we have good old John Keel, the Mothman boy. So the Mothman, <laughs> the Mothman like boy, like boy. superhero, or like <laughs> Mothman boy. <laughs> Maybe he is. He wrote something about superheroes, which I'll get into. So <laughs> wow. you guys, you guys are subconsciously tapping into like a lot of the things that I'm bring, gonna bring up. So you were part of the Men in Black. We I just mean, do that now. That's true. We we do know it, know it all now. But. So John Keel was an interesting character in his own right. He, like people who met him, claimed to have sat and talked with him. Particularly Timothy Green Beckley, who talked about uh, Gray Barker. 
he said that he was genuine when he would tell his tale of the men in black. And he said that every time he would talk to him, he was like captivated by his speaking. Like he's everyone who talks about John Keel pretty much says like when you sat and talked with him and he told you his stories, like you were focused on it. Like you, he told a great story. He was just like a good speaker, but he was a reporter and a sensationalist reporter, John Keel that is. So this is where he talks about the superhero book that he published. It was called The Fickle Finger of Fate. <laughs> and it was described as a combination of Batman and a Russ Myers movie with naked girls, evil villains, and a hero named Satter- Sater Man. <laughs> wow. So, what was Sater Man's? Uh... No idea. <laughs> That's all I got. I didn't dig into it any further. But <laughs> if you guys, uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not, there's like a video, like a small cut meme from footage after Earth Day, where, like, you know, who, who was um that superhero of, like, Planet, like, the Oh, Captain Planet? Captain, yeah, Captain Planet. Planet. Okay, but they were, like, all these villains, like, like, radiation. Yeah. And, and, but it said, like, it says the, all the corporations after Earth Day, and it's just all these villains teaming up. <laughs> Did you find Sater Man? I, I, I tried. The only thing that's popping up is Spider-Man. It literally was like, do you mean Spider-Man? Uh, yeah, try looking up Fickle Finger of Fate. We'll should be the other fun. way around. Should be like, if you look in Spider-Man, like, do you, you mean, mean Sater-Man? Sater <laughs> <laughs> literally all I know is that it's like a rip-off of Batman, basically. Except it's got like a lot more erotic stuff in it. The only thing that shows up. This is the only thing that shows up. Just a picture of a trophy with a finger, <laughs> like doing finger guns, but like with a wing on it. <laughs> do you see that? What about under like articles? Does it show anything about it? live research on the podcast i mean not really <laughs> right i guess it, i guess you gotta go find it from yeah. john keel himself then. 1969 fly flying fickle finger of fate award no award I... <laughs> what all right there's an urban dictionary yeah nothing this is yeah, okay i can't really find anything well i guess you'll have to dig and on the internet and the dark web for a copy of the fickle finger of fate to find Sater Man. <laughs> the dark web. So, uh, Beckley said that John Keel was a fascinating man and a delight to talk to, but he didn't know. He said that, like, if he saw John Keel and he didn't know who it was and he saw him in a black suit with, like, the outfit on, he'd probably think that he was a man in black just by, like, the way he, like, composed himself. And someone else said like the same thing. They're just like, yeah, this guy could probably pose as a man in black if he wanted to. And uh, so one time, John Keel told a story of when he had broken down in the middle of a wherever, and it was like the middle of the night or like early morning. And he went to one of the houses nearby to ask for help. And he was like, I didn't want to go ask, but I had no other choice at the time. So he said he knocked on the door and... I guess the couple just like thought he was someone with like really bad intentions. Yeah. And so he's like, I think they probably mistook me for someone like a man in black. (laughs) So, but aside from that, as far as his actual credibility goes, a man who like allegedly photographed a man in black that is talked about earlier in the book that I just skipped over, but his name is Alan Greenfield. He says about Keel in comparison to Barker, he said, Keel got the facts a lot better than Barker on cases that they're both looking at, but Keel was far more credulous and also more easily fooled because, in a sense, he was outside it all. 
Keel wasn't a ufologist. He was an observer of ufology. So he wasn't himself researching a lot of this stuff. He was just a part of that area of research. He, he kind of viewed it from the outside. Mm-hmm. So that'd be like us as sports fans watching sports analysts talk about sports. That's basically what John Keel did. He wasn't doing it himself. He was just watching. But another testimony about Keel from a man named, from Greg Bishop that we mentioned earlier stated that he was one of the best at writing nonfiction, but also telling a story in a fun and attention-grabbing way. And he was also not above bending facts here and there, but he always did it with the intention about getting his point across better. So he also did a little what Gray Barker did, but just not as extreme, where it was pretty much like just spinning a yarn. It was more so just telling the fact and exaggerating it a little bit to make it more readable and to emphasize what he was trying to say. And everyone who talks about him says, like, whatever John Keel wrote was what John Keel believed, as opposed to Gray Barker, where no one knew what he believed. Hmm. So that gives a little more credence to John Keel's writings about the men in black. If he believed all of what he wrote, maybe there was something to it. Yeah, it's like two completely different schools of thought, almost, like on a certain subject. Yeah, right. I mean, they're doing basically a similar idea, just different ways. Mm -hmm. So... To close the book on Keel, we're going to go back back to uh, Brad Steger, who was the guy that had the poltergeist activity happen to him that I mentioned in the last episode. He claimed to have talked to Keel about his encounter with the Men in Black. He uh, said that Keel and himself were both large and like well-built men and responded to threats head-on. Like He referred to it as a bull charging towards the red flag. That's how they responded to being threatened. And... What he heard from Keel when he was listening to his story kind of like made him second guess whether he would have been brave in the situation that Keel was in. So according to Keel, he was with the men in black at his house. They had visited him for whatever reason. And one of them just reached underneath the sink in the kitchen and grabbed a jug of Clorox bleach. And they were like, what is this? He's like, it's a powerful disinfectant. Like, be careful with it. And they took the cap off and, like, passed it around to all three of them. They all sniffed it. And they're like, is this Clorox? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, now put it back. Otherwise, you're going to spill it on the floor or something. And instead of putting it back, they passed it one by one to each other and each took a huge swig out of the bottle. No way. What? Yeah. (laughs) So that was the story that John Keel apparently told to Brad Steer. So. That's weird. And it's lethal. Not great. I wonder if they were the ones that started the whole Tide Pod, <laughs> the tide pod <laughs> Challenge. Yeah. yeah, so that would be a little intimidating if three guys that you didn't know that were really weird just drank your bleach and then walked out. Right, can you imagine? Like, can I get a glass of uh, milk? Um, nope, I have some bleach. I have if you Clorox. Is Clorox milk? No, it's <laughs> not. <laughs> so, in conclusions with their writings on, on Gray Barker and Keel, it's safe to say that they both had a huge impact on how Men in Black lore was viewed and, like, what the core tenets of Men in Black lore in general are now. And Albert Bender, too, he had a huge impact, all three of them. They pretty much came up with the bullet points for, like, Men in Black encounters at this point. So whether what they say is true or not, they formed an entire thought on what these people or what these things could be. So they're important even if... 
they're making stuff up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, otherwise we'd have pretty much no idea exactly. about any of this. We would we wouldn't have the movies if they didn't come out with a lot of this stuff because there would, wouldn't have been anything really. So So these two made Will Smith. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Hey, band, do you know the YMCA? <laughs> Is that how we're going to get back into it? Yes, absolutely. All right. That video still just lives so run-free in my head. It's so good. Hey, band, do y'all know the YMCA? YMCA. I don't want to get wet because I just showered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So <laughs> after Bender, Barker, and Keel, he leads into more of the interesting theories on what things could be so first one is tulpas you guys absolutely know what that is right did you mean to say tapas (laughs) no toppers (laughs) (laughs) yes pizza the men in black are pizza Oh, it's, it's like that. Jimmy, not even it, delivery guys. Just say actually. No, it's actually. I'm just pizza. thinking of that Jimmy Neutron. That Jimmy episode. Neutron yeah. oh with the floating pizza. And then tells, they wait, and the one pizza woman wakes up her husband <laughs> and says it was just a dream yeah. pizza. Oh, what a good show! All right, so tulpas, for those that don't know, are what are known as thought form ghosts or entities. So basically, the idea is it's something born out of the imagination that is given enough like willpower and energy to physically manifest in the world. So they use that focused energy and once they get enough of it, if you like help, basically it's like a plant. Like if you water it and help it grow, it becomes bigger. That's basically what happens is if you give it enough of your energy and enough of your focus, then it'll become strong enough that it can become an independent entity and go out on its own. But it has to like sustain itself by feeding on energy from other people, kind of like psychic vampires mm. that I mentioned during the Black Eyed Kids episode. So there's a story in the book. I didn't write it down, but the gist of it was there was some sort of monk, I believe it was, or some sort of teacher that just basically sat down and focused on creating an image of, I believe it was a man, like a an Im- oh, no, it was an image of a monk that the person created in their head, and they sat and focused on it for a long time, like weeks, months, whatever it was. And eventually, they were able to see that f- a figure, an apparition of that in real life. And at first, only they could see it, but then eventually it got strong enough that it could like interact with things and stuff. So that's one story they say like backs this up. And they think that maybe the men in black or something like that. Basically, that with the men in black becoming a mainstream thought in these circles, all of that collective energy focused on a very similar idea of what these men are and what they look like would have given enough energy to help manifest them in real life. Okay. I mean, I I follow. That makes sense. Yeah. So. That'd almost be like explanations for the creations of all ghosts then like yeah people just believed in demons since yeah. the beginning of thought essentially. right and the thought is that if these things are given enough power a lot of the times they're going to want to pretty much break free from the control of the person that created them mm-hmm. and a lot of the times that makes them into more of like a malevolent spirit rather than being a friendly spirit 
So that's the reason why like a lot of the men in black are more like predatory because they have to basically sustain themselves. And a lot of the way that tulpas sustain their physical form and remain on this plane of existence is by feeding off people's emotions. So they need like a highly emotional situation. So what's more highly emotional than a person who just had basically a traumatic experience by seeing like a UFO or seeing Mothman or whatever it would be. Mm -hmm. And they're already paranoid about it. And then these strange men come to their house or men in quotation marks come to their house and tell them to stop talking about it. Otherwise bad things are going to happen. Obviously that person's going to get even more emotional about it. And then they can just feed on that and keep themselves sustained. Especially when you see him and his two best friends just down bleach. Yeah, down bleach or rub their fake lips off their mouth or whatever. Or make a coin disappear. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, that's just mad. That's just magicians. Well, yeah. (laughs) And then he hit them with a thumb. (laughs) (laughs) Like the flower that squirts out water. (laughs) Then he got his card, right? Is this your card? No, no, no. No hard stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm saying it's not my card. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Oh, is that a snore? Nope. So this is like somewhat confirmed by the Mothman encounters. Like when the Mothman was being seen, a lot of these people were really emotional about it, whether it be that they're scared of it or whether it be that they're excited to try and find out what it was. And then there's a lot of men in black sightings that co- like corresponded with all these Mothman sightings. But then once everything with the Mothman died down, so did the men in black. So that could be said that they didn't have anything to really feed off of because there wasn't any more highly emotional people that they could go and kind of terrorize. And they just didn't have enough energy to keep existing there and they faded out. So, I mean, if you think about it in that way, it makes sense. So it just depends on whether you buy into the theory of tulpas in general. So what you're saying is to not have emotions. Basically. Check. <laughs> <laughs> And like I said, maybe they're the psychic vampires that just kind of feed off of your life energy. It's pretty much a similar concept, but psychic vampires are more so like uh, more grounded, I guess, in reality than a tulpa would be where it's basically like living off of you to still be here. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gray Barker in a letter to Keel said that a way to like combat this, like you said, <laughs> not having emotions, if instead of like responding with fear if something like this were to happen to you like make a joke with it or something because apparently if they, like they don't you don't react like in the emotional fearful way that they expect apparently it like breaks their programming or whatever and it would just like freak them out you, you just him like what's the deal with all these <laughs> <laughs> just it's turn like, on I... seinfeld hey come watch this <laughs> <laughs> so that's like what he says it's just like be like calm or like unemotional basically and just they don't have anything to latch onto and then they won't bother you anymore. So you just put on like the YouTube video like falling madness. Remember <laughs> that of guys just falling? What was oh. that one with like the scary ghost like falling down the stairs? Uh the bone chilling ghost. The bone chilling ghost. <laughs> it's like, hey, you know this guy? <laughs> Is that your buddy? So who knows? Maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's all hoo ha. No one knows. It's all gobbledygook. Gobbledygook, yes. So lastly, I wanted to focus on the misidentified humans theory. And there's more than this that I'm going to go to, but 
like I said, you can read it for yourself if you want. So before we get to like military, like the government officials and stuff like that that would visit, I want to talk about normal civilians who may have been mis- misidentified as men in black. So we're going to start with NICAP, which NICAP stands for the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. And basically what it was is it was not an official government group, even though it sounds like one. It is a civilian-run group that went to go investigate a lot of this UFO stuff on their own. And they even had like several high-ranking members, like the first director of the CIA was in there, and uh, the chief of the U.S. Navy's guided missile project was in there. So, I mean, it's... It was a pretty well-organized group, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, think about it. If you were someone that had a strange encounter and you were telling people about it and people knew that you were the person that had this encounter, if someone from NICAP, let's say, came to your house wearing black suit and tie, looking official, showed you a badge that said, like, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, and said, we're from Washington, D.C., we're here to talk to you about what happened to you. You're, what are you going to think about? Like, you're going to be like, why is this person here? Why am I getting so much official attention from these people? So it's going to freak you out. I mean, I'd be scared if that happened to me. But, I mean, they weren't an official group, though. They were civilians. So this goes back to the ufology group's being egotistical and wanting to have everything for themselves. They would, these groups would tell people like, tell us your story. And then at the end, they'd be like, don't tell anyone else. So they could have that story exclusively. Mm -hmm. But if you're the person that's getting talked to and there's people coming and asking you all these details about what happened to you and then saying, don't say anything or else what are you, you're going to think that's some sort of malevolent being that, you don't want to have any interaction with. Yeah. So, I mean, mm. it makes sense that people would just mis- misidentify these civilian groups as being something malicious. Sure. I can't imagine being that committed to something. Like, just that's not an official organization. Like, to do all of that. I mean, that's a lot. Right. You got to have some dedication. Yep. So, um, there's also just like d- those dumb nerds that would dress up like, like officials and like even if they weren't an ICAP, like there's another UFO group called MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and like if you pay for like the VIP membership or whatever, you get like a lanyard and a polo and stuff like that. So I mean these groups have like official stuff that you mm. could show if you go to someone's house. So it's not like it is out of the question that someone would just use this to their advantage. I would love to see that lanyard. <laughs> yeah, right. It's laminated, so let me in. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you can intimidate someone enough just by like looking like you're an official person, do you can get more information out of them probably than you mm-hmm. would if you were just showing up in your plain clothes. Confidence is key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So another man and author named Micah Hanks was also mistaken for a man in black in Asheville, North Carolina, while he was researching a haunting there. So he was a paranormal researcher, and he wrote books on this stuff. And basically, there is a a haunted hotel there, and it was like a relatively upscale place. And so he said, like, whenever I went there to go, like, investigate, I wanted to look like I belong there. And so he's like, I wore a black suit, black tie. And 
he was like, I didn't want to like bug all these people. So he would walk around in the hallways and there was like rooms that were more active than others apparently. And like he wanted to figure out what was going on. So he had an EMF detector, an electromagnetic frequency detector, which like catches spikes in like magnetic field activity in an area, which is apparently some ways that you can read like spirit activity. And he also had a, a Geiger counter that like measured radioactivity. And he would like keep them in his pockets and he would walk through the hallways and like when he didn't think anyone was watching, you'd pull it out and try and like check the measurements and whatever. So eventually people that were staying at this hotel and in town were like hearing rumors saying this guy in a black suit has been walking around the hotel with these weird gadgets trying to like find something weird going on and like going by people's doors. And so he heard these rumors and he's like, that's weird. I've been there a lot. Like that, I wonder what that could be. And then he's like quickly realized just like, they're talking about me. <laughs> so it's very easy that yeah. someone could say, I saw this man in black or man in black that was acting really weird. Could just be an awkward guy in a suit trying to do something weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You never know. So the moral of the story, never wear like black on black. <laughs> right. So, Next, we're going to go on to the, the government side of, like, misidentifications. So one man named Joe Perry, who lives in Michigan, he was a professional photographer, I believe it said for, like, 30 years. And he took pictures of the moon with his telescope pretty regularly. So he had, like, thousands of photos, pretty much similar location, pretty much same photo. And eventually, one day, he developed some of them, and he saw something weird in one of them. So he went took the photo and got it like blown up bigger. And when he looked at it, he saw that it was like a craft. It basically looked like a craft that was flying near where the moon was. That was going to be so preposterous. I was going to say something crazy. Like he saw a man on the moon <laughs> <laughs> with a fishing pole. <laughs> like, That's no, where it came Dreamworks. from. <laughs> just saw a DreamWorks movie. <laughs> so he had this photo and he was telling people like yeah i finally got something on this these photos that i've been taking for so long and uh eventually he had a visit from two fbi agents who came or they asked him like all the details like what did you see can we see the picture and eventually they he was like yeah here here's the original picture i'm gonna keep the one that i blew up you guys can have the original and gave it to him and they took it and he never saw it again. So he tried to like contact them and be like, I want my picture back. And they're like, basically, they said like, nah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like finders keepers get lost. Yeah. yeah. And they tried telling him like, oh, it's nothing. Like you don't need it back. It was just a developing error. Like it wasn't actually like a craft you saw in there. So you don't need it back. We're just going to throw it out. He's like, no. <laughs> Like, I want it back. I don't care if it's nothing. And so the newspapers and him at that point were pretty much both being told, like, shut up. Like, don't talk about this anymore. It's all over. Like, you're not getting it back. And Hoover said that he had to, like, settle things with a newspaper in one of his letters to a CIA correspondent or something like that. So basically, he admitted, like, we had to hush up some people to try and get this to stop being talked about. Whether whether that means it was just like we don't want this misinformation out there or something actually of note happened who knows why they would have done it mm -hmm. 
but either way it's just kind of weird and that just proves though that like fbi agents were coming to people for this it wasn't just the robertson panel and stuff there's like legitimate people out and like hunting for these people that have claimed to see stuff so another story from the uk tells of a girl named Anne, a 16 year old named Anne, and she was from the british county of somerset and she said that one night when she was looking out her window she saw like these strange lights floating out there and it like grew brighter and dimmer pretty much like as if it was going closer and further away and then eventually it like just kept going getting smaller and then just like faded out and so she kept seeing this like repeatedly night after night and she wrote notes about it in her notebook and she like drew out the trajectory that it always went with like a pen and paper and stuff and at that point she was like i gotta tell someone about this so she called the the royal air force base that was i would assume nearby and they dispatched someone to her home her family's home and uh the man he came in and he announced himself as a royal air force official he didn't say who he was officially but he just said he was from the royal air force and they kind of just said like makes sense so apparently he sat with Anne in her room at night with like looking out the window where she saw all this stuff trying to see it himself and the first night nothing happened because it was too cloudy second night it just didn't show up and then the third night it finally did show up so Anne said that once it showed up he started taking photos of it but he seemed like super unfazed by it he didn't freak out and say like what is that or anything he just was super nonchalant about it and then he took his photos, got his camera, asked her for the notes that she took and the drawings that she had made, and left. And so that was pretty much the last that they had heard about it at that point. But eventually, through the British Freedom of Information Act, some files got declassified about this and said that the man was actually named, his name was Sergeant J.W. Scott. And he was a part of the Royal Air Force's elite branch that specialized in espionage, counter-espionage, and disinformation. So it would make sense that he would go out there because who knows what she's actually getting this, or where she's getting this information kind of thing. So Also explains why he wasn't phased at all. Yeah, right. Like, this is what he does. Another day in the office. Yeah. So, I mean, that just shows that it's not just civilians getting misidentified it's also actual government officials or g-men as people call them that are coming out and looking at this stuff because i mean why would a government would take that seriously if there's people saying we're seeing strange flying stuff around our house yeah so that's similar to today with all the disclosure that's been happening i mean they're still saying we don't know what this stuff is so they're gonna take it pretty seriously Mm mm-hmm and Tom DeLong is on the case. He is. Yeah. And I don't know if you have any experience with that stuff, Mark, at all, but like I know in the Navy you probably have just heard like from other people yeah, it's that time to spill the beans. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you like tell secret stuff. I'm no, just saying like in general. <laughs> I love that has to be qualified. <laughs> right. Like he's just gonna give up all the net. Yeah. Where's the national treasure? Yeah. <laughs> well, we are men in black now. So. But what I will say is there's like I mean there's things in place for pilots to uh report what they yeah see if they can't explain it and and obviously that stuff gets looked at after the fact so do you know what project blue book is i have heard of project blue book so that project blue book was like a way for pilots to log 
different encounters that they had. So it was like the first official like thing saying like, Hey, if you have a weird encounter, we'll record it here kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. So is that where Project Bluebeam came from? No. Yeah, and then it <laughs> every comes, time I look, it comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah. See, when I was looking up Project Bluebeam stuff, every time it was like, "Did you mean Project Blue Book?" I'm like, "Oh, I didn't mean Project Blue Book. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have typed that in." But uh, yeah, so with those two stories, it it's pretty clear that they're government officials who use like the image of Men in Black just as like a fear tactic, basically to intimidate people into giving them what they want and saying like, "Hey, we're gonna." do something bad if you don't cooperate with us. So if you're a simple farm folk out in the country that sees something weird and you get visited by a government official who mm-hmm. tells you shush up or else, you're going to say, yeah, I mean, you don't know what's going on. You've never seen these guys. So All right, just trying to grow some cabbages. <laughs> <laughs> the cabbage guy. So that's all I'm going to go into on the theories from my end. There's more in there. I, the list of them goes time travelers, demons, spirits, or tricksters from folklore. So I almost did the time travelers one because that's a really fun one to go into, but yeah. it probably would have taken quite a while to go into it. So and then we would have had to go into background of time travel and all that stuff. So <laughs> we'll just do a time travel episode one day, maybe. So, yeah. but that's what I wanted to. Those were the three that kind of stood out to me, or three or four, or whatever it was. But like. The misidentified one probably accounts for a good number of them, but I don't think that's every single one of them. So sure. who knows what? I they're... know it's pretty cool. It's fascinating. It really is. Like regardless of whether you like whether you believe it or not, it is like these are actual accounts. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about last week, like these are real people. Granted, the space babes is a little far back. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I thought that was the most like down to earth thing. He gets oh, transported to would an- Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> To get some strange liquid rubbed on his body by space babes. Yep. That is so dumb. Like, what is a space babe? Yeah, right. So after all this, what do you guys think on it? Like, what are your final thoughts? Do you believe a lot of this stuff, or do you think most of it's just... I mean, when you... Like, the last two weeks, just bringing up how these groups are very competitive. Like, no one wants to work with each other. I could definitely see people that are very gung-ho about this posing as government agents and like kind of doing this like dress up as men in black to intimidate people to not talk about this i guess the only way that that would maybe get discredited is because some people did get like headaches um but honestly i think that's kind of my theory sure yeah i'm not convinced but i will say it's interesting i do think people would some people were clearly visited by somebody and it's hard to explain what was what, but sometimes I I just wonder if people are using their imaginations a little bit. We talked about that one guy who wouldn't like take maybe something that happened, maybe he didn't. And then would turn it more into like a story. So it, it does sound more like quality storytelling than it does something that really happened. But I do think some people were visited by certain individuals or think they saw things or, did see people in suits, but had nothing to do with anything they were talking about. Yeah, especially in the times. I mean, like that—that that was just common wear for a long time. Right. Exactly. So that's kind of where we're in on it. That being said, it's not—I'm not ruling out that there wasn't some weird tendencies that happened. That's kind of where I'm at too, because like the the script that we read from Doctor Herbert Hopkins, he really had nothing to gain from telling that story. I mean, 
it's not like it would have benefited him in any way, really, unless he wrote mm-hmm. a book and made a bunch of money, which I don't believe he did, because otherwise it would have probably been another source that I would have looked at. But uh, like some of these people, if they're telling someone that's putting it in a book, they have enough confidence that this is going to be out for people to read that they believe in their own stories. So yeah. whether it was just misidentification and they just ran with that and said that their story was something more extravagant, yeah, either way, they they had some sort of experience, because otherwise, why would they tell it? So that's kind of where I'm at. But Fair. I just think this topic is really fun. It's like something you wouldn't hear about unless you went digging for it, but it's also just super, like, it, it is terrifying sometimes. But, yeah. like, if it happened to me, I'd be not loving it. But again, I'm going to be very pissed if I get a, <laughs> and I, I hear the doorbell for the first time. ever. Imagine like you have a Halloween party and I show up as a man in black, just scare the <laughs> shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think it's like super fascinating and it is, there is an air silliness around it. Like men putting dents on file cabinets and rubbing their lips with their hand and it comes off and stuff like that. It's just fun. I think mm-hmm. so. Just the filing cabinet, I can't get over. Lose a couple pounds, boy. (laughs) (laughs) But you guys can let us know what you think. Tag us in your comments and stuff on social media, like we mentioned, at Gems of History Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or email us, gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you guys have had stories or experiences with Men in Black. Let us know about them. We'll tell them on the show if you guys want. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So, But... That's all I got for you guys for the Men in Black. I hope you guys enjoyed the first two-part series on the podcast. Yeah, that was really Sure fun. did, yeah. So, and just like a very interesting topic that, I mean, I had no idea yeah. before today. And like I said, it's it, like literally every single topic <laughs> you do, I'm like, wow, I learned a lot today. And, and like I said, I, it's just, it runs the gamut of like everything creepy or everything like yep. paranormal. So I, I think that's one of the main reasons why I like it so much, just because there's nothing really left out from it. So mm-hmm. it just, it keeps things entertaining. But Ev, we're coming back to you next week. We are. Oh, man. I hope you're ready. No sprinklers of any teasers. <laughs> all right, all right. All I got, right. Got some uh, couple things brewing, a okay. couple fan suggestions. Ooh. Maybe dive into that, or I do have like a huge list of what I want to do. Well, we covered all the history, so. Again, this is DLC. <laughs> Did we put Moose on that list now? Oh, I mean, I didn't want to just give too much of a... <laughs> Guess you just got the whole Sunday instead of just a sprinkle. The history of four-legged animals. <laughs> we'll break oh, them God. down, and then we're going to do a tier, S through F. Oh, my goodness. Of all four-legged animals. All right, Mark, I guess you're not going for a month or so. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't sound like... Yeah. A little more than that. Even. <laughs> right? So, yeah, Jacob, that was a really cute two-parter. <laughs> now we have for a 16-episode yeah. series oh, about all God. four-legged animals. I'm not editing that. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually just going to be like hours and hours of me just spitballing into a microphone. That's pretty much what we do every week. I mean. Right. All right, guys. Well, thank you all for listening. Like, like I said, let us know. Email us. Message us on one of our social medias. And until next week, we hope you guys all had fun with this, and we hope you guys all have a good week. Don't get visited by the men in black, a.k.a. us. <laughs> 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 but until next time. This is us signing off for now. Adios. Appreciate you, everyone.